Welcome to Rich in Life, a podcast for anyone looking to be entertained while picking up a few tips on life, luxury, and resilience. And now your host, Rich Irani. So my next guest is David Thomas. He's a celebrity stylist and costume designer. He actually started out as a plumber in the UK and wound up one of the top five men's stylists in the world. He's worked with people such as Angelina Jolie, David and Victoria Beckham, Usher, Justin Bieber, Britney Spears, Mariah Carey, Lana Del Rey, Chris Hemsworth, the Thor guy, Casey Affleck, Jamie Foxx, John Legend. The list is endless. Find out what he has to say about it and how he got into styling and how he became so successful at it. He's really launched many careers and many images of these celebrities. He's launching a book called Vanity Projects with a forward by the Prince of Wales, otherwise known as Princess Diana's ex-husband. He's also launching a clothing line, which I saw some photos of, and I have to say that I approve. There's no logos, they're slim fit, they're very simple and understated. Let's see where he is right now. Here's David Thomas. How are you doing, David? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Nice to meet you. Same here. Are you calling? You're in LA now, right? Yeah, I'm in LA. We just uh, finished doing some pre-recording for The Voice yesterday, so I'm here today, and I'll go to Palm Springs for the weekend tomorrow. That sounds lovely. Do you have a house in Palm Springs? Yeah, yeah. We bought it during, well, the very beginning of the pandemic, actually, just to get away. Oh, that's brilliant. We bought it in May. Yeah, okay, just over a year ago. Yeah, Brad and I used to go to the Parker Hotel there, and we Uh, went to, is there a Viceroy there? I'm not sure, because you know what? We we weren't familiar with Palm Springs, and we haven't actually been anywhere yet, because we've just been hiding out there. You know, we haven't had to, uh, we haven't had the opportunity to explore Palm Springs at all, but we know the Parker. We're not far from the Parker. Right. It, It was a great hotel, really. We went there quite a few times. Yeah, oh, actually, that's right. Um, Brad's twin brother, Brian, do you know him? I do, yeah. He got married. He did? He got married in Palm Springs. Yes, we took the kids when they were like six months old to the oh, wedding wow. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I met them at the same time. They modeled as a duo. And where were they? Were they in London at the time or in America when you met them? They were when- in America. We flew them in for the shoot. In We flew them to London, and the shoot was for Vogon in Paris. But they were kind of fancy. They... Yeah, they got flown in for the shoot only. Wow, they wasted money. Okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know I like to pick shoes. on him. David, I like to pick on him. Why was it your favorite shoot? Tell me, why was it one of your favorite shoots? Well, first of all, the photographer is Michael Roberts. Who, he, I was an intern for him, and then he, I became a fashion editor. He became a photographer, and he's, he's just a wonderful human being and a great artist. So that was one reason. Um, Secondly, I just kind of clicked with the twins when I met them. And I, I have a feeling that they actually stayed at my apartment. I'm not sure if that's true. But I, anyway, we all kind of bonded and we traveled down to Eton, you know, the, the, the private school and we shot by the river. It's just one of those kind of magical times with a great pictures, good fashion, a great crew, good models. Yeah, I, I would that. imagine. so memorable for me. I would imagine also back then it was so different, you know, models, the, the fashion, the models, the designers, everything was so different back then. Yeah. I mean, we could literally pick anywhere in the world that we wanted to shoot and just say, oh, we're going to shoot in Sri Lanka or we're going to shoot in London. 
or we're going to shoot in the south of France or Sicily or literally anywhere. And that would be okay. And then we could have access to any models in the world. I mean, we could literally just have this, you know, just do whatever, get inspired by the clothes and go, oh, this would look great in this situation or let's go there or this model. Um, it was kind of limitless really. You know, it's funny, I talk about it a lot on the show, how 20 years ago, it was so fantastic. And I think part of the reason was that there was less of everything. There were less models and the models that were around were like really superstars and real supermodels. There were less designers. It, there was just less of everything, which made everything seem more special. And I think also the budgets were bigger. Yeah, and the uh, uh, magazines were, you know, they came out once a month and you looked forward to them coming out. Now we have, uh, you know, there's so much availability of fashion and images on the internet that that wasn't the case then. So, you know, you looked forward to the physical thing coming out once a month and people worked for, you know, in three, three months in advance on that particular issue. Uh, and people didn't get to see the fashion when it was shown. They had to wait for a magazine to come out to see it a couple of months. Now, you know, a lot of fashion shows are live streamed or it's on Instagram almost immediately, you know. So it was just a different time. I'm not saying it's better or worse, but for me, at that age, at that point in my life was kind of a magical time. Yeah. Well, you don't have to say it. I'll say it. It was. It's worse. <laughs> You're nice. I'm not. I mean, you know, I'm in the fashion business for decades. I've gone to so many of the fashion shows um, in Milan, Paris, New York. I've carried some of the best collections, still do. And, you know, there was something about when people would come into the shop and see the Balenciaga collection for the first time or Dolce & Gabbana in its heyday for the first time or Miu Miu or Prada or whoever it was for the first time, it was magical, like you said said. Now they get to see it on Instagram and they get to see it live streaming and they see every picture months before the shoes even come in. So, you yeah, know, it kind of loses it's the, it loses the excitement. Right. Because they see it and they can't have access to it for another six months. And by the time, you know, people have a short attention span and then moved on to something else now. Exactly. I say that all yeah. the time. By the time customers come in and see the shoes, they're like, oh yeah, I've seen it already. And I, and I would be oh. like, I, yeah, but you can buy them now. You know, it's like they want to see something. You know, customers I've noticed want to see things they haven't seen. Right. But and that's there's an excitement to that. Yeah, I know. And that, that, but they, they're on to the next thing because they've been bombarded with another round of fashion shows by the time they get hands on the one that, that we're talking about. Right. So, okay, I want to get to it because I usually do my intros after the interview, but you are a really famous stylist and, you know, not just a stylist to celebrities, but a costume designer as well. And I know that you grew up in the UK. Is that where you grew up? Yeah, I grew up in the UK, but I was born in America. Oh, how interesting. So you were born in America. And when did you move to the UK? When I was like two years old. So my my father was, who is Irish, and my mother's British. My father was based, he was in the British Air Force, and he was based at Strategic Air Command, SAC headquarters in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, so I was born there. Um, and then when his uh, time was up, uh, we moved back to the UK. So we went back to the UK on the QE2, um, and I was two years old. Perfect. You were there long enough just to pick up the accent. I wanted to do that with our kids. I asked Brad if we can send them to the UK just to pick up some accent. I don't care if it's Irish, British. Well, yeah, well, the bonus is that I get to have dual nationality. So I have an American passport 
and a British passport. And that actually now in the process of applying for an Irish passport so that I can be part of the European Union. So it wow. worked out well for me. That is, that's terrific. Yeah. So I know that you dropped out of school like I did. We're both high school dropouts. So when I read that, I was kind of like, okay, finally I've met someone who doesn't have 12 degrees. You know, everybody has, you know, <clears throat> so many degrees and masters and they're not even doing anything in the field that they went to school for. So that's a lot of work and a lot of wasted money in, in my mind. So when I came across the fact that uh, you dropped out of school and made such a success of yourself and at a young age. Now it's funny, right before you, I had Terrence McFarland on the show. Do you know Terrence McFarland? No. I thought he was the, the youngest. He worked for Interview Magazine and Details. Oh, okay. He was the fashion editor. And it's funny, we spoke about him being one of the youngest, but you actually were the youngest in, uh, um, in the fashion as an editor. Am I correct? Yeah, at the time, I was, when I joined British Esquire, I was 24. And I'd only been in fashion for two years. So I'd, I, I hadn't gone to fashion college. I hadn't gone to any college, really. Um, so I started assisting when I was 22. I was asked to join a new magazine called Esquire opening in the UK when I was 24 as fashion stylist, but I was promoted to fashion editor when I was 25. And so at the point, I, at that point in time, I was the youngest fashion editor in the world. It's incredible. Who did you have to sleep with to get that job at that age without any, <laughs> I mean, really? No, seriously, did you know anybody in the business? Were you dating anybody? No, I, I didn't know anyone, but they, so we didn't have the internet. I really wanted to be in fashion. Um, and I had decided that I had gone to New York just prior to that. Um, and I'd worked in a, in a, in a cafe in the morning. I'd worked in sweeping up hair in a hairdresser's in the afternoon. And I was singing backing vocals in a band as well, but going to clubs. And I pretty, I mean, I had this kind of epiphany, if you like, that all the people that I really admired, um, they weren't just fabulous. They actually did something. And if, and if you like their, fabulosity was as a result of the, their craft right because i was kind of immersed in the club scene and and just really earning enough money to get by i mean we were living um four fr four friends had come together we'd all traveled together to new york and we were in one bedroom in a two-bedroom department and we were barely making a living and um i just kind of realized you know you just couldn't be fabulous. You had to actually do something. And, it, and I thought, well, what do I want to do? Um, whilst I was sweeping up hair in the cafe, I got to know these, these two girls and they were, we got chatting and they said, oh, you know, we love your style. Will you style us? And I'm like, oh, I'm not a hairdresser. I'm just sweeping up. And they're like, no, 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 will you help us with our clothes? And that's when I kind of understood or discovered that there was a job called styling. And I was like, well, okay. I say, I want to be a stylist. I can, I can be involved with fashion that I love. And I, and I can also be involved possibly in the music business, which I also love, but have no real musical talent. So that was a real awakening for me. So I went back to London, um, but I was broke. So, um, a friend who I was traveling with Paul, I talk about this in my book, he, he had bought a return ticket and I had only bought a single fare from London to New York. So I didn't have any money or a plane ticket, but he said, I'll take my plane ticket and, you know, get, get on the plane with my ticket. So I used the last of my money to get from Manhattan to JFK. And, uh, and then when I got there, I checked in, but then I, with his ticket, but I pretended I couldn't find my passport and I was flapping around and 
And then at the last minute, they were like, if you don't go, you know, if you can't go now, you're going to miss the flight. So I flashed my passport and I, I basically got on the flight like that. That's how I got home. And then I was like, just uh, went back to my parents and I was just like, look, I really want to do, I really want to work in fashion. I've decided I want to be a fashion stylist. And that's, you know, that's how I started my journey in fashion. Yeah, but it wasn't just by saying that you wanted to do it. What happened next? How did you actually break through the first? Well, at, break my dad's, at my dad's suggestion, he said, you should get a job and save up to go back to London. But um, he suggested that I contact a charity called the Prince's Trust. And the Prince's Trust was a, is a charity set up like 43 years ago by the Prince of Wales, specifically to help young people find employment or start their own businesses. So people like me who have kind of fallen through the cracks of education, people who've um, come out of prison, people who've had issues with drink or drugs or low self-esteem or whatever. So basically it creates this kind of uh, entity that encourages and supports young people. So I applied for a grant and, and received and got a grant basically. So I used that money and the money I'd saved to put together a portfolio of, fashion shoots if you like test shoots they call them and i i used um friends to model i borrowed clothes from stores in my in my hometown and met a photographer at the local fashion college and took that with the money i had from the charity went back to london and wrote letters i wrote over a hundred letters to to people that i wanted to assist um and and kind of broke through as an assistant really and you got a job as an assistant to a very famous uh, stylist. What was her name? Um, actually, uh, every, it, am I getting people. it wrong? Well, no. He ha it's a it's a man with a girl's name, basically. Oh, okay. So, yes. um, Judy Blame, you're you're yes. referring to. Yes, so I was a huge Boy George fan when I when I had originally gone to London a couple of years before for the first time. I had gone because I'd I'd run away and I wanted to meet Boy George. Okay, so Judy Blame. <laughs> was was boy george's stylist and also a, a jewelry designer and a dude so, <laughs> and a, yeah his real name is it was chris barnes but he had been named judy blame and that was kind of like his persona um i i somehow managed to get hold of his phone number and i hassled him i just called and called and called and one day he just said um <clears throat> okay, you can, you can work as my second assistant for, for no money. And, and, and I like to find out he had said that just because he was fed up with me calling. Essentially. <laughs> Probably. So that's, how, that's how I started working with him. Um, and then uh, another famous stylist called Isabella Blow, who was at the time working at Tatler and then at British Vogue, She's probably best known uh, for being credited with discovering uh, Philip Tracy, the milliner, and Alexander McQueen, fashion designer. So um, she got in touch with Judy and said, you know, I've got this job coming up with Malcolm McLaren and it's music videos and I don't know what to do. Can I borrow your assistance? So I, he, Judy basically lent me out to her and I started working with her. And then there was one other guy that I really wanted to assist. There was a fantastic magazine called Blitz magazine when I was growing up. And uh, Ian was the fashion director of Blitz. And um, he was another one that was really hard to get hold of. But um, he, he basically never took my call and I couldn't get past his assistant. But someone had told me he was going to be at this fashion party and that I should get myself into this party and introduce myself. So I 
literally went to this party. I had this trick of how to get in gate crash clubs or parties or whatever. And that was to walk in backwards really slowly. So I walked in backwards really slowly. I got in the party. Wait, explain why you had to walk in backwards. Because the people, the security think that you're either on your way out or you're already in. So you literally would would turn around and walk back. That is the funniest thing. I should try. It absolutely works. That's how I got in the party. And I went out to him and I was just like, Hey, my name's Dave Thomas. I've been trying to get you on the phone. I want I really want to be your assistant. And he kind of looked at me and then he was like, call tomorrow and I'll take the call. Um, so I was like, okay. Um, and then he just turned around and walked away. I, I called the next day and he took the call and I, I, I got this kind of unofficial internship with him. So I was working for three stylists um, before I got offered the job at Esquire. That's a great story. I mean, do you think things like that could happen today? I, I don't. I don't believe that those kind of connections could actually happen in this day and age. I mean, it's funny, you said something earlier about you wanted to do something other than just be fabulous. That's right. also another sign of the times, you know, 20 years ago than, than it is today. Today, people just really want to be fabulous for, you know, being on, you know, um, Instagram or being a blogger or having a sex tape or whatever. I think a sex tape is out of style these days, but I mean, we went through that phase too. So yeah. do you believe that could ever happen again? Like those kind of connections? I, it doesn't seem likely. They do happen and I'll give you an example, but they happen in a different way. So you just mentioned Instagram or, or it. So I'm on Instagram and there was a, a young designer that just kept sending me DMs. I mean, it happens. And I do try and respond to people, especially people who are interested in getting into fashion. I always try and respond and encourage people. But this guy, I hadn't really responded to. And then one day he sent me this message. His name is Rich Fresh, by the way. He sent me this message and he said, I'm going to work with you. You cannot avoid me. We are going to have lunch and it's going to be great. And I was just, and it really made me laugh. And and it, it made me think of myself and how I hounded Judy and, and Ian R. Webb. So I was like, yeah, you know, okay, fuck it. <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, let's meet. I replied. And within a week he was, he made a suit for me for, for John Legend, which was a, you know, for an award show and it was great. And we started collaborating and now, you know, he's rocketed to, to quite a high place in fashion. Not so much because of me, maybe working with John helped him initially, but because of his tenacity, really, and his fearlessness. So I think, you know, there's still a place for that. And, but I think um, he got lucky. I think he got lucky with you. I mean, if that if that DM would have come to me, I probably would have maybe called the FBI or the police, <laughs> being like, I, I don't want to stalk her. I, but I get scared when people try to engage with me too um, intimately. I get very nervous. I don't like to engage on social media. So I usually drop the phone and hand it to Brad right, and say, just it, deal with it. There was something about it. Like, you know, I, in, it, it, when I was starting out, it was the telephone. It wasn't You're even a cool spirit. I have to say, uh, David, you're a very cool spirit. I can totally see why that um, appealed to you. And yeah. I thought it was so cool how you responded to him and gave him a break. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, we still work together. We're currently in, uh, uh, in the phases of preparing for John Legend's Bigger Love Tour, which starts on the 1st of September. And Fresh is going to do all the outfits for me, for John, for that tour. So, I mean, it's a real thing. I mean, it the fact is that he was cheeky enough and he did catch my attention and, and he has the talent to back it up. So yes, I believe that though I, I just, and in a way that happening 
reawaken something in me because you know we all get kind of insecure and fearful about should I make that call shall I reach out to this person and then I was just like just try and remember what you used to be like you know just the fear only lasts for a couple of seconds and they can either reject it or not but at least you've tried so that that kind of encouraged me to do other stuff actually I think it's really cool I, for the people listening. I want them to know. I mean, I know that John Legend is one of your major clients, but I know that you've worked with so many people. Chris Hemsworth, who was Thor, yes. Justin Bieber, Colin yeah. Farrell, Jamie Foxx, Gerard Butler, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, who I love his name. That's how I remember him. He, he also played in, I think, a few superhero movies. I like him as well. And even Sting and Prince Charles. And I want to get to these people, but you've also worked with women. But getting back to John Legend, he is I think your biggest client, because when I look at your Instagram, I mean, I see a lot of John Legend, which means that you're styling him for everything. Yeah, and actually John is, is unusual in my career because my career spans 33 years. And I always used to have this thing that, you know, one job is great, two is if they book you a second time, it's fantastic, third time is great because you know them a little bit better and you know their taste. But I always had this kind of self-imposed limit of like, four years with an artist because I was thought that, you know, you need to keep moving and, and, and artists come and go generally. And I didn't want my career to be so closely tied with one person so that when they start to be on the out that I'm kind of going with them because it's quite, if they're busy and they're on a roll, then it, it takes up a lot of your time at the exclusion of other stuff. Right. So John is so unusual because we've been working together for 13 years now. And, um, but I feel like it, it's just so unusual. It's just that I met him at a point, I think it was 2008, when he was kind of on the rise and we've kind of grown together in terms of um, his style, if you like. And, yeah. and it's still exciting and he's, he's still, you know, there's always something new happening with John and he's a busy guy, so, and I enjoy it. So he's very unusual. and. There is a lot of John on my Instagram because I devote a lot of time to doing the stuff that he needs doing. You know, he's such a busy man. Yeah, and 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 you should because I mean, first of all, aside from the fact that he's got an amazing voice, a phenomenal phenomenal voice, he looks good in clothes too, and I'm sure that helps. I'm sure it helps styling someone that actually looks good in in the clothes that you put on him. I mean, I noticed John looks great in color. You know, in in certain colors, I yeah. am not a fan of wearing color, but I noticed on your Instagram, you dress people, and I guess depending on who they are, in certain colors, and I think that's amazing that you can make them look that good you know because you know i have a theory like you know certain men of a certain age shouldn't be wearing you know t-shirts out to dinner or sandals or motorcycle jackets but you yeah know, no you shouldn't you shouldn't be wearing i always used to say you shouldn't be wearing a motorcycle jacket over the age of 30 unless you actually own a motorcycle but i i might have loosened up on that a little bit it's interesting because john john's attitude to fashion is like he wants to express himself as an artist but there are there are many aspects to John that when he's on when he's performing or he's a coach on the voice or he's on stage, he wants to he wants to express himself as an artist. And for him, it's it's as important as as um, the the lighting or the staging or the you know, it's it's part of the whole package and it's as important and he'll give it the time to to develop it. And he always wants to keep moving. So there are some artists who have a style, have a look, and they stay there. John is always 
looking to be pushed. He's evolving. Part, yeah, part of my job is to kind of encourage him to to try something different to move it on a little bit, and that's why we're able to still work together because it's not it's never boring. There's all right. he want you know. I want him to be excited about something new. He wants me to push it. And so. he respects the art, which I like. He respects the art of styling and clothing and, and what it means for his career. I think that, you know, we can appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's not always the case, especially um, styling is quite a young industry in terms of what any industry, really. And I would say that it's only in the last 30 years, that, and especially the last 10, that it's become more prevalent i mean there were always costume designers and people helping artists with their clothes but it was very much in the background and right. and especially then girls used to acknowledge that they or female artists that they had a stylist and those stylists would become known but men didn't really want to admit that they, they had a stylist or or even that they had an interest in fashion because it was kind of you know do you pay for his clothes? See, I find exactly what you just said is the reason why people now put these stylists in the forefront is because they're getting stuff for free. You know, back in the day, I think they used to either borrow or pay for their stuff. So, you know, of course they wanted to keep everything a secret. I think now when you're getting so many things for free, I mean, I know I've given my shoes for free to, you know, many people, Madonna, Beyonce, and they've worn my shoes, they've posted them on Instagram, but I don't know if they came in and bought the shoes, they would be doing that. Well, John is, no, John's not like that. John wants to, I mean, like you mentioned it earlier, John kind of respects the art of um, design and fashion and styling. And, and he, so he's kind of like a patron of the arts in my view, because he, he doesn't accept free stuff. He doesn't want free stuff. There are occasions if somebody is keen to dress him for the red carpet and, and if he thinks it's, if we think it's a good idea and it's appropriate and not a compromise, then occasionally people gift him an outfit. He just did a walk the red carpet and performed at UNICEF uh, event in Capri. Um, and he was dressed by D squared, but um, that doesn't happen. So no, he likes, he loves clothes. He buys clothes independent of me. And, and he, if, if we do something for the voice or for stage or for TV, he wants to own it and then he'll put it in his closet and then he'll rewear it in a, maybe in the same way, maybe in a different way. So no, he, he buys his clothes. Oh, I like him even more now. I actually yeah. like him even more. Um, yeah. Do you ever style his wife, Christy Teigen? I have done in the past, but when I first met them, but I have another kind of rule that like, so John's my client. And if, if, if you start to dress somebody's wife or girlfriend or boyfriend or partner, you, first of all, if you get it wrong and you, and you upset the partner, or piss them off, you're kind of jeopardizing your relationship with your main artist because, you know, they're always going to take the side of their significant other, right? And also, um, weirdly, it's like having a, 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 a for me, a, a husband and a mistress. Like, how do you divide your time between the two without kind of getting into trouble? So I, I did it because it, I was helping out maybe yeah. at, the, at the beginning and she wasn't as famous as she, as, and as busy as she is now, but there's no way I could do it now. No, I don't. So do it's it. funny. I, I know your analogy. It sounds almost as if when I asked my psychiatrist many years ago, if they would see um, my brother and my niece two different times. And she said no both times. And then she finally um, fessed up that she doesn't like seeing anyone from the same family. 
Right. I said, but it, it's, it's has nothing to do. She's like, you know, she said, no, I won't do it. So yeah, it's funny. It's kind of like sharing a therapist. Yeah. But, uh, it just doesn't, it doesn't work out. And, and also, I mean, I liaise with his, uh, Chris's stylist. So if they're going to, I'm just turning my phone off. Yeah, sure. I, I liaise with his stylist. So if they're going to walk the red carpet together or go to an event together, we can kind of sort of synchronize them and, you know, and be aware of what each other's doing and try and, yeah. you know, and if it's, if it's a music event, then kind of I'll take the lead because it's John Legend, the performer, or, and if, it, if they're attending something as a couple, then, you know, maybe John will, it has this kind of gentlemanly thing where, he, you know, well, let, let's see what Chrissy wants to do and I'll kind of right. be a foil for her. Do you know what I mean? So Yeah, of course. And I'm sure you're friends with them, right? I am friends with them in, yeah. in terms that I know them very, very well. And they're the people that I see the most in my life apart from my husband but I do have a, a kind of line that we don't cross so we've only had dinner and we were talking about this the other day I think we've only had dinner five times and once was their engagement dinner once was at their wedding and then there was a Paul Smith dinner and I can't think of the other two but so we don't really hang out and right. Um, we might be more kind of personable when we're at just, just the two of us working on clothes together. But when we're in a, a work situation like The Voice or, or wherever else we might be, the Grammys, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I kind of, uh, I'm not over familiar. Right. I mean, I just, That's I just, good. But, but you are familiar with Christie's uh, politics. Obviously, everyone is. She had a lot of bad luck, I think, recently. Hasn't she? Yes. Yeah. I, it's funny because yeah. I never knew Christy Teigen really. I knew John Legend. I wasn't really familiar with her until I heard her very aggressive hatred towards, I guess, Donald Trump and anybody associated with him. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I think for any um, public figure to to stand up for what they believe in. I mean, John is very active in criminal justice reform and education and and other things. I mean, I admire people using their platform for good. Um, I really do. Uh, I, it can be polarizing. There are other artists that just just don't let their views be known either way because they, you know, they just don't want to alienate yeah. a potential audience. <clears throat> right. So, I mean, I happen to be. I guess my my politics and the way I was brought up align more with John and Chrissy than so it's not an issue for me, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting, no, because I mean, you know, it backfired in a way. It backfired back to her, you know, from what I understood. But in any case, I'm I'm not here to talk about well, that. I'll I, say, I, well, I I will say one thing. I believe I believe in um second chances and third chances or whatever it takes. and that relates across the board. I certainly had a second chance in terms of my life and career. And I believe in redemption and I believe in forgiveness. So that's pretty much all I have to say about But that's that. great. But no, and I love that. I feel exactly the same as you, David, but ironically, it doesn't seem like that's what her platform was, you know, all about cancel culture. And if somebody does something wrong, they immediately get canceled. And ironically, it's kind of what happened to her from what I understand. I couldn't, I, I might be wrong, but it seems yeah, like that happened I mean, to her as well. Um, I think when Twitter was first, kind of introduced to the world um it was it was a, a different place and it was 
and the peop- way that people got attention on it and got followers and, and, the, and the humor in it and the, the, what people find exciting and interesting about it was, was kind of the bitchiness and the clap back and all that. But that was 10 years ago. Do right. you know what I mean? And I yeah. think that the world is a very different place. So if she's being accused of bullying and she's apologized for it, then I don't have an issue with her. I, and I happen to know her, but I personally view cancel culture as like the heightened point, uh, the heightened version of bullying. So to me, none of it really makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think everyone's entitled to think and even say what they want so long as they say it in a way that is not so, I guess, mean. And I guess, you know, things that I've heard from certain people like Christy Teigen have sounded so mean that it just makes certain people seem very unattractive, as attractive as they may be. But anyway, putting that on the side, I want to know, how is it that you're so famous for styling men and you've styled some of the most glamorous women, Angelina Jolie, Victoria Beckham, uh, Britney Spears, Megan Trainor, Lana Del Rey, who's one of my favorite artists, I think of all time. I mean, we even got an email from Lana Del Rey. Brad told me that we were getting her album ahead of time because I was in the top 1% of her listeners. I didn't oh know God. I was, I didn't <laughs> know I was listening to her that much. And Brad, of course, doesn't like her because of the cursing in her songs. You know, I don't really like cursing in my songs either, but she does it so beautifully and romantically and, you know, what was yeah. it like? So, so wait, first going back to my first question, how are you so famous for styling men when you've styled such amazing women? I can't. I mean, you, left out, you left out Celine Dion and Liza Minnelli. But anyway. How, oh my God, I did. I left out Celine Dion. I did, didn't even get to that. Yeah. So tell me, how, how did it come to be? Well, when I arrived in America, I'd already been styling for like 15, 16 years when I decided to move here in 2004. Um, and so I, I, I'd, I'd come over with Sting and Trudy to style them both for award season. And I'd done this outfit for Sting for the 2004 Grammys um, where he'd worn a kilt and it got a lot of attention. And, and he's another one, I'm sorry to interrupt you. He's another one that respects the art of styling. Am oh, I correct? Yeah. I, yeah, you can tell. Design. Yeah, so the fact that you're even linked to him shows the talent that you have because you're linked to these artists that really, really care about the way they look and evolving with the times. I'm sorry, right. continue. So you're with Trudy and Sting. I love yeah, it. And He's I'm hanging here. out with Trudy and Sting. Go ahead. Yes, I am literally hanging out with Trudy and Sting. We're here for two months. They they put me at Lermitage Hotel and they have a, they have a house in Malibu. So they'd arranged for me to have a rental car. They'd, um, uh, there's a famous uh, film costume designer called Colleen Atwood, who's a friend of Trudy Styler's, Sting's wife. And they, so Colleen, they'd arranged for her to lend me her assistance. So, it was almost like I was living here for two months. And um, even though Sting and Trudy were taking me to events and I was working with them, I was, I was, I, I just, I was kind of here and it's quite a long time to be in a different town. So I, I was working and, and um, meeting people and I was like, wow, this town's amazing. You know, it's like, it's built for what I do. And, you know, because I'm working with Sting and Trudy, all the doors are open. I can get clothes from anywhere. So I was like, this is like, my future. I was kind of getting a little stale in the UK. I'd been with Sting for four years and I was with Dido at the time. And, you know, I was doing stuff, but once you in the UK, once you've styled for people, like, um, for people listening, Dido is the singer. So yeah, Dido yes, the singer. it's okay. I'm just clarifying. She did that. Um, she did that uh, duet with the uh, Eminem. Anyway, That's I'm sorry. So continue. Yeah. So once you've, you know, you've worked your way through kind of the English or British pop stars of like, 
um, Westlife, Robbie Williams, the, any Spice Girl or any, you know, like, and, and all of that. And I'd gone through this Britpop phase of the Verve and ISIS and that. It was like, the, I, I felt like I was running out of things to do. And suddenly I was exposed to this place, America. So I thought, okay, Sting's outfit got a lot of attention at the Grammys. On the back of that, somebody tracked me down and said, We've, we, we decided whoever starts to sing for the Grammys, we want to represent. And we found out it was you. Will you, you know, can we represent you in Los Angeles? So I was like, this is it. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move to LA. And pretty, pretty quickly, I realized that there was a lot of stylists in LA all fighting for the same work. But nobody at that point, I felt, was doing menswear very well. So I was like, okay, you know, I'm not going to fight to do all those big girls or the red carpet actresses. What I'll do is I'll just market myself as specializing in guys because I, I, I could kind of uh, exploit my background as being a fashion editor for Esquire and American Esquire and Vogue Arm and Vogue International and all that. So I'm this British stylist with a, menswear editorial background and i'm here in la and i'm gonna you know i'm gonna teach you all about menswear so that's that's what happened that's how my well thought out david that was very well thought out and it worked for you so how did you still get how'd you get a client like angelina jolie what was that like or celine dion well celine i did when i was still living in the uk because i was quite a known stylist there and then when when they would be doing work with American artists in the UK, they would, I guess they would kind of ask around and say, who would you recommend? And that's how I got to do a video with Celine. Um, Angelina Jolie, the same thing. She was attending the BAFTAs and- In the UK? In the UK and didn't have her glam crew with her. So I was recommended to her and then got to work with her a couple of times. But over here, um, when I got to work with Mariah Carey, it's because the video director, Jake Narva, who was is probably most known for directing single ladies for Beyonce. Um, he and I knew each other, we'd worked together and he, he wanted a kind of more European fashion sensibility. And he kind of recommended me to such a high degree that I got to do the, got to work with Mariah there. Um, and a lot of it comes from, you know, either a record company or a management or, or very often a photographer or, or a video director that just, wants to bring something different because I feel like I don't know so much now, but in the UK, the stylist is kind of in charge of what, what goes on. And in America, I felt when I got here, the stylists were a bit more like shoppers <laughs> and they didn't have so much, maybe of a strong point of view. They were just facilitating what people wanted. And, and I'm used to being kind of in charge and being a fashion editor and, directing what's going to happen. And so people would bring me in if they wanted like a, a strong voice to, to fight for a certain image or to bring new direction. It's so true. What you said is that stylists in New York, I found that too. They were more like personal shoppers, you know, they weren't really styling. Yeah. What I, what I found so fascinating when I got here was the power of the publicists for, for actresses and musicians. And I mean, they, they seem to, um, be the first to look through the clothes and I, I didn't really gel with that at all. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, of course. like I'm, you know, you brought me in to, um, I had this huge fight with one artist people <laughs> because they were like, you know, 
Wait, there so who, you had a fight with uh, an artist or their pe- the artist's people? The artist's people. Because who was I it? Had... Which artist? Can, we, can, can you tell us? Yeah, well, M- Mariah's, Mariah's people. That's, because... Okay, that sounds about yeah. right. That sounds about right. I mean, <laughs> Because I've been brought in to do this music video and the, the director had written a treatment, which is this kind of script, if you like, which had been approved. And so it, there's, a, there's, a, there's a look, there's a vibe. And that's why I've been brought in to kind of bring my ideas and bring this idea to life. And I had done my, you know, presentation and I got all the clothes that I thought would be suitable for each of the three or four looks. And, um, and somebody was just like, you know, where are all the clothes? I was going, this is, these are the clothes. This is my edited choice. And they're like, you, you know, we want the room full of clothes. You need to get every dress in town here. And I was like, if you want every dress in town, then you can just, you might as well just call my mom, give her a copy of Vogue and she can do it. (laughs) Exactly. You know, that's not why you brought, you know, that's not why I'm here. I'm here for my, for my point of view. And this is my point of view. So I feel like, you know, it's a, just a different way of working. You know, I put a lot into the, I mean, obviously I do research, like who are they? What have they done? I listen to the song, I read the treatment and I, I just try and think what would be best. Not like I'll get everything and they can just pick something they want. So it's funny because I have that same problem or I've had that same problem for many years in my shop. You know, I had a shop on Madison and Soho on third on Lexington. And we had customers, we had the most loyal customers that would come in and these clients and they would, you know, spend so much money and, and, you know, listen to anything I would tell them. If I said, you know, wear that with that, wear this, they listened. And then you had other people that just wanted to see every single shoe in every collection. And I said, you know, we're not the store for that. You know, if you want to see every single shoe designed for the season, you have to go to Saks, spend the entire day and walk the floors, you know, and it's funny because people do that and then they still come back to Chucky's and they see a curated, edited version of what I think is worth spending your money on. Yeah, that's exactly how I try to operate because otherwise I think certainly for artists, if you, uh, if you present them, anybody really with too much choice, it's just confusing and overwhelming and particularly men. So it's like, this is what we're doing and this is what I think will be appropriate. And, 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 and to expand on that, I think for men to be well-dressed is to be appropriately dressed. So, you know, go back okay. to John or-, or Yes, you know. I love you for saying that. I want you to elaborate on appropriately <laughs> dressed for me. Elaborate, because that is one of, you know, I hit a certain age. When I hit 40 years old, I suddenly decided I was not gonna wear jeans anymore. I wasn't going to a restaurant in t-shirts. You know, I mean, I still like my clothes fitted. I wanted them to have a style. It was all about the fit, but I was very careful about the way I wanted to be perceived, which is okay for me. Everyone can do what they want, but I like what you just said, appropriate, tell me. Yeah, I think that the, I mean, the first thing that people see when they, you know, when they meet you before they get a chance for you, for, you know, for you even to say hello or anything, they are, you know, kind of sizing you up on, on how you present yourself. So the way that all of us dress, artists and non-artists, if you like, is we, we are expressing ourselves. So when I say appropriately dressed, I, I mean, first of all, in terms of how do we want to how do we want to be perceived and what are we trying to say and secondly i uh, as importantly you know where are we going what are we doing <laughs> what is the weather and who's going to be there and yeah. it's what is the crowd going to be like that's always yeah. been one of my things when i dealt with my clients is well what kind of a crowd are we talking about here yeah, I think that, you, you know, effectively styling is like window dressing. Okay, so John is the project or, or, or Lionel Rich is the 
the the product if you like and and um we are trying to uh appeal to his existing audience or their existing audiences and 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 maybe add to it but not put people off right so that's that's kind of what we're doing but you know if you're I, I like to kind of respect the rules of like dressing. So if you're going to be walking the red carpet at the Oscars, I consider that to be for men, at least where you do the ultimate kind of black tuxedo and you don't play around and everything. And maybe if you're doing the Grammys, it's, it's a little bit more rock and roll and you can experiment a little bit more, but you're still on the red carpet. And none of my artists that I work with, Lionel and, and John and everyone, they don't want to look like a member of the audience. They want to be elevated. And Lionel always says, I, you need to make me look and feel like the star that they've all paid to come and see. So there you go. Yeah, I'm sorry. My son is here. Well, you're trying to get your face in here. You want to say hi to David? Okay. All right, good. Then, then say scram. hi anyway. Then hi. Scram. He wants to say hi. David wants to say hi to you. Connor, you can come. David wants to say hi. And then you'll scram. Come, he's not in camp today. It's okay. Hi, what's your name? What's your name? He's Gunner. Asking. Oh, hi, Connor. I'm David. No, it's nice Gunner with you. a G. Gunner. Sorry. Hi, Gunner. Hi. Hi. He's a great stylist, Gunner. He's going to help me. He's going to help me style you better because, you know, I only like you in one look. Okay, now beat it. Scram. I have to talk about you to David now. Okay. <laughs> I'm okay. terrible. Like, this kid wants to dress in jerseys, basketball jerseys, and I cannot. Like, I tell Brad, stuff like that will put me in the hospital. Like, I need <laughs> I need my aesthetic to be a certain way, but I'm, I'm learning to adapt. And he's wearing one of them now. That's right. So, yeah, it's uh, you're going to have to help me through that and uh, allow more leniency because I also have a very, you know, like what you just were talking about. You have to dress in accordance with, you know, where you're going. I, to me, in my opinion, how old you are, where you're going, what's it yeah. like, who's going to be there. Yeah, I think that the age certainly plays into it, especially for uh, if you want to say like, you know, non-famous or non-performing people, you know. Um, but we don't dress like our parents did. I mean, if my, but I wish I'm, we did, <laughs> well, David, 50, I wish we did. <laughs> I'm Go 55. Ahead. I don't know how old you uh, are. Same age. We're the same age. Okay. So I definitely don't dress like my father and his generation did at the age of 55. I don't, but then, you know, I'm not going to be wearing, um, streetwear that's heavily logoed or anything like that. I mean, my look is quite simple and classic, but, but also because, um, I don't know, my style's kind of so pared down because I've, I've also got this thing about, you know, never dressing better than the artist. So I'm not going to turn up in a room with like, I don't know, brand new Gucci sparkling sneakers on or something. And the attention go to me and my feet when the attention should be on the right. artist. So I, I just, um, I, I dress very, I've got a kind of uniform. I dress mostly dark colors and then occasionally yeah. I'll dress up. Yeah, we're very similar in that way. I'm very nondescript. I, I'm very um, uniform. I dress uniforms, either all navy, black, but I do yes. wear khaki. I always wear a white shirt. Yeah, I was going to say there's certain colors that we could, that are kind of like handsome men colors that we can do, right? So we can do black and white, navy, uh, you know. Gray, khaki. Gray, but not next to the face. That right, gray pants, <laughs> gray trousers always. Yeah, yes. and then if we want to really go for it, I think red's a good color for us. Because red to me is kind of associated with, with uniforms and men look good in uniforms. And historically it's a color that 
that you know kind of can work so red's like so are my, you talking about red as a shirt or a blazer or just like a tie oh like a like a hoodie or a or a sweater yeah oh yeah. streetwear yes i get that no no wear. no or a shirt um yeah. you know like knitwear like i'm wearing like a cashmere knit. i have a red one and that's like when i'm feeling a bit extra Right. When <laughs> I'm feeling a bit extra. I like that. Yeah, so tell but, me, like for average men, when I say average men, I don't I mean like for people that aren't going uh, to the Grammys or not yeah, non performers. For <laughs> like non performers, the way you said it, yeah. what is a good way for people, for men to dress around our age, you know, that will make them look good without making them look like they're trying too hard? Well, uh, yeah, I think that the, the essence for guys is essentially to look like you're not trying too hard. Yeah. I think that women we expect the opposite which is kind of weird but anyway so for guys it needs to look kind of effortless and i have a general rule that kind of works and that's no more than three colors in an outfit and you so you can if you work to that three no more than three colors in an outfit you can go tonally within there so say you're going to wear a navy jacket you can have different blues in there and then you have like the joker the ace card so it's three colors and then denim or leather is your kind of joker card that you can play that you can add in there so if you keep it kind of simple like that um i don't think logos and anything too extravagant i just think simple um colors sticking within that and then the, the second thing really is the fit i think the fit is really important um it's always worth um guys if they if they're buying a suit especially or sometimes even a jacket you know if the if the sleeves are just a little bit too long it's like it's drowning. It feels like it's overwhelming you. So if you've got a local dry cleaner that you use that has, uh, you know, no, most of them kind of offer some kind of tailoring service. And I would say that uh, if you can, you buy a suit, take it to the tailor. No, even if you're a size 50 or 40 suit, however you want to say it, no two men's bodies are the same, you know? So for me, I might need it take it in a little bit or the arms shorten a little bit or obviously the pants need turning up so just those little tweaks with a tailor can can change everything and the third thing is fabric you know quality you know try and buy something that's quality that will last and has a nice look and feel to it and uh, you but just not disposable clothes we don't need we don't need to change um our wardrobe we just need to find stuff that fits us well, that looks good on us, that complements our mm. lifestyle. Yeah, I agree with that. I, and add to it. Yeah, I think disposable clothes, which is, you know, kind of like all the H&Ms, and not that I'm saying there's anything wrong with it if there's things you like, but it's so terrible for the environment to just keep buying and throwing out and buying. I think what you said earlier, and I've said it many times, Christina Pacelli, another stylist from California, from LA, was um, on the podcast. And I told her, aside from mortgage and rent, my tailoring is my most expensive bill, even more than food, because uh, I tailor everything. Now, yeah. what you said is, you know, men should, you know, take it to their dry cleaners. Do you know how many men know this? But they're not going to spend money. They don't want to spend $50 to take in a suit, you know, blazer, just a quarter of an inch. You know, I don't only take it in there. I even take in the sleeve to make it fit. You know, oh, I, yeah, no, I'm the same. And it can alter everything. And I mean, I, I think that the more we talk about it and, and, you know, there's, it's easier for men to feel allowed to get involved with fashion now. And I think there's several factors. I think that just the availability uh, of, 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 of actually good clothes is one reason. I think that uh, musicians, 
male and and especially sports stars sports stars taking an interest in fashion is allow, allows other guys if you like yeah. straight guys or whatever you want to say it to have an interest in fashion it kind of gives them permission yeah. so i think that it's changing and i think that you know that uh, we need to encourage people to you know to have their clothes fitted to them and you know i think people notice they, do you remember when lebron james i'm sorry to interrupt you when he came out in the tom brown oh yeah Okay, I, I went through a big Tom Brown phase for about a decade. I still have all his clothes, but I don't wear them because they are become identifiable. Right. But when I started getting into them, it was rarely ever seen. People didn't know who it was. So I went through a huge Tom Brown uh, uh, phase. And when um, LeBron James was photographed wearing Tom Brown, my phone was blowing up. Everyone that made fun of me said, why am I wearing shorts in the winter? Why am I wearing knee socks? Why am I, why am I ankle showing? I mean, everything. Why did it, this answered all of a sudden I became the hero of everyone that yeah, was making because, fun of me. Because sportsmen are kind of heroic in the culture, especially in America. So it's super interesting. They do this kind of, um, this kind of catwalk, this like modern day, it's like the modern day equivalent of, a, of the Saturday afternoon promenade when all the rich people used to get super dressed up and parade around the park so everyone could see how wealthy and fabulous they were. And it's like, they're, they're kind of, it's not just watches for guys anymore. It's, you know, these sports guys uh, pre-game have this kind of ritual of like fashion and it's fascinating. But I do think that it's, what is done is kind of democratized fashion or simply allowed guys to be interested in fashion or, or or let it be known that they're interested in fashion and not be ridiculed. So I'm, I'm all about it. I think it's yeah. great. And I do think, and, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, that it is okay for people to spend money on designer clothes and still have them altered. I've altered Tom Brown blazers. I mean, they fit me nice and snug, but there's always little tweakings in certain places that I, I take in and I still, you know, at the time yeah. when I would spend the money on expensive blazers, I'd still go to the tailor and spend more money. Yeah, we tailor everything. And like I say, you know, just everybody's a different size. All guys are a different size, but you're buying off the peg. So your arms might be a different length, your waist or your, you know, there's just things and, it, you know, sometimes, we taper the legs on pants just because proportionally it looks better than, right. you know, on the person we're working with. We tailor everything. And it's is there anything the we should do? Thing. Huh? And it's, you say that again, and it's probably the most important thing. It's the most important aspect of our styling, I think, is the tailoring. And our tailor is our most precious asset. Oh, my God, Brad. He's <laughs> saying what I have said forever. Do you know I had to take Brad's pants to the tailor to have a crotch put in when I went through my little Rick Owens phase and his, I bought a few things that were too dramatic for me. So what I did is he put a little triangle of the same fabric right underneath the crotch. So it just kind of fell just softly. It didn't really right. look drop, but it just fell. And I started doing it to his pants. He didn't even know it. And I right. remember there was a time when I was narrowing his pants, hemming them. I'd go by one pair. I take it to the tailor and I would do all his old stuff because Brad didn't want to spend the money on it. See, but now yeah. you're hearing it from David Thomas. He is actually saying it's the most important person. I said, uh, Taylor is more important than freaking knowing the president of the United yeah, States. Yeah, my clients would, my clients would agree with, with just that, you know, just, just tapering a pant from the knee to the ankle can make you look like four inches taller and, and, and simply 
raising the cuff on a suit jacket or an underwear jacket actually makes it look like it belongs to you because you, and you're not wearing someone else's clothes. It's, it's just, it, it really matters. And, you know, people don't necessarily notice if we get it right, what we're wearing, they just go, oh, you look nice or you look handsome or you look cool or whatever, but yeah. they don't quite know what it is. But it, to me, it's about the fit and the fabric. Right. Um, Not about the logo. I don't need to see you in an H belt or Versace shirt or Gucci thing. You know, just wear simpler stuff and have it tapered. You know, I'm saying for 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 guys that are a little bit older, you know, that. Yeah. Want to and, look you know, like, I think I think there's this kind of white space in menswear. So you've got your you know, you've got your kind of H&M and your, maybe your J Crew, and you've got your high end designer. And then there's this space like where do we go? Where do men that? I mean, I say our age, but it, it could be any age between uh, 25 and 75. Right. If we don't want to be, um, if we don't want people to, to notice what we're wearing, just think, you know, that we look great, that we're wearing nice contemporary clothes in a modern cut in good fabric, right? Where do we go? So that's why I launched my men's web. Okay, so this is it. I want you guys to stay tuned for next week, part two of David Thomas. There was so much we covered and so much gossip that I had to put it in two parts. Otherwise, you would have had to work out another 40 minutes. So next week. You've been listening to Rich in Life with Rich Arani. If you liked what you've heard, click subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. Or visit us at richinlife.com. That's R-I-T-C-H in life dot com.